Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of History by Hopkins. So I gotta admit, it's uh, been a while since I kicked out any new content. And that's for a pretty good reason. I've mentioned it before in other episodes uh, that I don't want to make this a thing that I don't enjoy. And nothing kind of kills your enjoyment of something uh, like having a deadline. So if I kick these out weekly, I just feel like they wouldn't be up to par for how I like to do them. I don't like to be rushed. I like to take my time and be sincere with the content I put out. And... The Stephen King rule that I mentioned in an earlier episode where I essentially wait on an idea to stick around in my head so long that I have no choice but to turn it into content has kind of paid off. Because I think I have a pretty good episode for you today. Albeit, it relates to a pretty controversial thing in, in the world. So, have you ever been passive-aggressively wronged by somebody and then you say something passive-aggressive or that you think is passive-aggressive and it's actually blatantly mean or horrible even? Because I certainly fucking have. Uh, I, I do it all the time. I'm a pretty blunt person by nature. It's just who I kind of am. And that's not to say that I'm openly mean. I used to be. I used to be horrible to people. Um, but that that's another Justin. That's, a, that's another time. You know, we all grow. And I feel like I've done a lot of that, especially in the past 11 years. So when you are wronged by someone and then you overreact like I just described, your intention is to rebuke, to safe face to so whenever I was mean to somebody it was always because they wronged me in some way that was passive aggressive or that I felt challenged me as uh, a, a man when I wasn't even a man you know when you're like 17 18 you're, you're not really a man you're a boy and you take things that a real man would take in stride and you amplify it by like 15,000 and you feel wronged and you feel emasculated or at least that's how I used to feel. I had a lot of pent up anger. I had a lot of pent up frustration because I just didn't have the tools in my brain to resolve any form of conflict without hitting the fucking nuke button 
And that's kind of how I went through life for a little while. Uh, if if someone would do something to me, I would... Have you ever seen Goodfellas? No, 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 fuck that. It was Casino. I'm getting my Scorsese films wrong. Have you ever seen Casino where Robert De Niro is talking about Joe Pesci's character, Nicky Santoro, and he says, uh, you know, if if you beat Nicky with a fist, he'll come back with a knife. If you beat him with a knife, he'll come back with a gun. And if you beat him with a gun, you better kill him because he'll keep coming back and back until one of you is dead. I had a scorched earth policy. When it, when it came to being insulted, and it never worked out to my... It never served me. So if somebody gave me even a, a remotely normal insult, like a burn, even from friends, let alone people I didn't get along with, uh, I would just say the... I would concoct... Sometimes I would even think about them like... <laughs> I would just concoct the the worst thing I could say that would devastate that person not just in front of their friends or in front of people but uh, that would eat at them as a person so that and I would do that because I would never want them to ever try to hurt my feelings ever again so I would come off way harder than I had to in an attempt to not just have that person not want to fuck with me again, but have other people say like, hey, I don't want to have that person say that type of horrible shit to me. And that's just kind of how I lived my life for a little while. It's it's not funny. I'm laughing because it's, it's horrible. Uh, but for, for a long stretch of time in my adolescent and teenage years and early adulthood, uh, I was basically like Batman, not in the cool way, but in the way that he always kept a plan to eliminate not just his enemies, but his friends if they ever turned against him, which isn't a good way to live life. Uh, I'm just going to say that here and now. And on occasion, that version of me wants to get out, but now I have the tools to to not just control it, but to be a better person about things. Uh, I, I owe a lot of that to the military, and I owe a lot of that to my my career as a social worker, which, in all honesty, was kind of a unconscious attempt at trying to be better about those things, to take a step to understand other people. So, how the fuck does this relate to our story today? So, the controversial subject matter of the story I'm about to tell you is only in its background. Israel. The very word of a... Uh, describe The very country's name creates conflict in a lot of people where you're either for or against or you're in the middle 
at any rate, you're arguing with somebody or somebody wants to argue with you about it. So Israel as a country was founded in earnest by Jews who before didn't have a country to call their own for thousands of years and were persecuted and at one point sought by a single uh, entity nation of fascists to be exterminated wholesale in a bureaucratic, purely pragmatic way by Nazi Germany. And when a country is founded by the survivors of that kind of thing, it, it kind of, to me, Israel has always represented the idea of never again. You know, never again are we going to be, I say we, never again will they uh, be persecuted or exterminated. And with the inception of their nation in 1948 by the UN and the UK, uh, they, like the day after, I think, uh, they were immediately attacked by their Arab, by their Arab neighbors. And with some help from the West, uh, were able to survive and defeat them. And then this would occur again at other facets, uh, most notably to me, the Six-Day War, which occurred in uh, 1969. And the Arab League of the surrounding nations, five primary nations and a, a couple other nations that were backing them financially with you know, weapons and troops and such, uh, were beat back by Israel in a resounding victory where Israel was outnumbered, outgunned, and still managed to come out on top and take back five times more land than they had before the war started, six days before. And with this new land came more Palestinian land. And more Palestinian land meant more Palestinians who are you know, the, the Arab natives of the land that most of Israel is, well, pretty much all of Israel is uh, founded upon. And when you take people's land and when you treat them as Israel has uh, due to their feelings of never again, uh, you get a lot of conflict out of that. You get a lot of crisis. You get a lot of terrorism on both sides and when one has a history like Israel does where most of its inhabitants can trace their roots back to people fleeing extermination uh, you know you it, it, it's hard to side with one or the other unless you're you know ethnically or culturally one or the other And I think that a lot of that 
plays into the story I'm about to tell you now. So, the Munich Massacre, otherwise known as Black September Incident, occurred in Munich, West Germany. Sorry, Munich, West Germany. My voice uh, gave out for a second. In 1972. And this was the 1972 Summer Olympics, or as the uh, West Germans called it, the Olympics of Peace and Joy. And the reason they were marketing it as this was because the last time Germany held Olympics was during the height of the Nazi regime, where Hitler used the 1939 Berlin Olympics not as a test of athletic feats and strength and national pride and coming together, but instead used it as a propaganda tool to showcase how much better Aryans were than everybody else before getting their asses handed to them by Jesse Owen. So, anybody want to take a guess what happened during and after the Berlin 1939 Olympics? The Holocaust. So, the Munich Olympics of 1972 were pretty important because it's the first time that Israel is really working with Germany for a PR relational thing. Uh, you know, Israel and Germany, you know, we're going to work together. We're going to, we're going to be fine. We can get past the past and we can come together for, for this, you know, things are going to be okay between us. And it only seems too sadly ironic that the self-described Olympics of peace and joy would turn into literally anything but that. And once again, um, Jewish blood would be spilled on German soil. So... During the uh, Olympics, a group known as Black September, who were funded and essentially were a splinter group of a Palestinian terrorist organization known as the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation uh, Organization, broke into the Israeli barracks or the Israeli apartments, I should say. Oh, hey, everybody. It's a, uh, oh, hey, buddy. It's that time of uh, the podcast where my cat makes an appearance to make scratchy noises on the walls because he is not being attended to. 
because this is his apartment, not mine. So, Black September, a Palestinian group, breaks into the Israeli apartments on the Olympic grounds. And over the course of... Well, it, it occurred between 4.31 a.m. September 5th, 1972, and then ended September 6th, 1972, at 12.04 a.m., so four minutes after the 5th ended. Uh, so this group breaks in with weapons, and they killed immediately kill two members of the Israeli Olympic team outright they they resisted them when they when they came in so counting the two men killed they take uh, nine members of the Israeli Olympic team hostage and essentially the police are called, you know, the, everybody's involved, and Black September demands that uh, the release of any Palestinian prisoners that Israel has taken in exchange for these Israeli Olympic hostages. Israel uh, wants to work with the Germans to get in there and just try to save their 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 Olympic athletes. Uh, Germany, for some fucking reason, decides to take the entire thing on to themselves of trying to rescue the hostages. So what happens is. The West Germans, the police, dress up as Olympic athletes, and then they slowly try to sneak into the apartments. And they try to get in through uh, balconies. And the thing is, they're holding guns, and they're dressed in tracksuits, and... What's what's the biggest thing about the Olympics besides the athletics? The coverage. Every single nation's media is covering the Olympics. And when the Olympics aren't happening because a terrorist group has taken hostages, all these reporters don't just suddenly stop what they're doing. They turn their cameras all on to the apartments and try to cover the story. And these police are trying to break in to save these athletes. And they suddenly realize that the terrorists are actually watching them on TV break into and uh, yeah they decide that that's not something they can do 
So they botch that. And eventually, Black September negotiates to have a plane take them uh, to another country where they can essentially um, be away from uh, the Olympics and be in a better bargaining position. So the West Germans give in and they say, okay, fine, we'll get you a plane. And so Black September takes the uh, athletes and they drive to the airport where the German police have set up an ambush. And between them getting out of a van and into a helicopter, a shootout occurs, grenades go off, and all of Black September and all of the Israeli Olympic team uh, athletes are killed. So, where do you go from there? How do you reconcile this? Seeing your own people. If I was, if I was a Jewish person... Watching the Olympics in Germany, and then I see Germans half acidly try to save these athletes and then botch it completely, uh, I'd, I'd be pretty upset. So, Israel, instead of openly uh, going on a full frontal declaration of war uh, decides to send Mossad, which is their version of the CIA, uh, to quietly go track down and kill all of the Palestinian uh, terrorist leaders involved with orchestrating the Black September uh, occurrence. And for the most part, they're actually pretty successful. Uh, they, they eliminate a lot of the people responsible. Sorry, my cat is going off the fucking chain right now because he knows I'm recording. So they're pretty response. Uh, they're pretty. Where was I? They're pretty successful with eliminating a lot of the people responsible for for the Munich massacre. But what they slowly start to realize is that once they kill these people, these leaders, these uh, high-ranking bureaucrats within the uh, PLO, 
they find that these people are very easily replaced and often are replaced by people 12 times worse than the people who were killed. And then it sort of becomes this situation where you're, it's like the Hydra, where you cut off a head and then two more take its place. Well, imagine cutting off the Hydra's head and then two more take its place, but now they're twice the size of the head that you originally had to deal with. This is also the 1970s. This is not an isolated uh, tragedy. The 1970s were, I don't want to say a breeding ground, but I, I, I should say where all the chickens of the uh, 1960s and 50s uh, came to roost when it came to uh, terrorism. So all the failed governments, uh, all the political um, fervor, all the manipulation by uh, Western countries into uh, third world nations and the Cold War uh, proxy wars uh, – those don't just end when the wars end. Uh, those don't just end when the fuckery ends. Uh, nothing ever ends. And the chickens came to roost uh, in the 1970s. You had, a black, you had the PLO in the Middle East. You had uh, the IRA in North Ireland. That's the beginning of the Troubles. The Troubles would last for 30 fucking years. That's 30 years of domestic terrorism within a country. Uh, also in the 1970s was the, the Weather Underground, where fucking hippies were uh, bombing certain areas of the United States. And it, the 1970s were also a peak height for, for murder rate in the United States and, and the world. Well, fuck, you also have Vietnam going on. Shit. So there's just – the 1970s w was a very violent and complicated time. And I'm really trying to tell you that – We've in many ways gotten past that as time's gone on. And I think while Israel does still do a lot of fucked up stuff and while the Palestinians uh, are still – this battle still wages but it's less so or maybe it's more so and I just – haven't seen it. Maybe I'm not doing the, the right research. But from the research I've seen, it's, it's kind of died down. You know, peace has been uh, attempted by both sides, and it's, it's kind of fallen apart at certain uh, intervals. And it's just hard to say 
exactly um, if they've really learned all that much. I, I feel like I'm rambling, rambling. I know I ramble, but I feel like I'm rambling, rambling. Maybe I need to shift down into a lower gear here. Uh, so the way I see it is a lot of the terrorism that sparked in the 1970s caused a lot of places to look at themselves and reevaluate what they're doing, to reevaluate how they react to wrongdoings against them. Israel is kind of a slid back and is more of a national guard than it was an aggressive uh, military. And the IRA, after the troubles, was able to get uh, politically recognized. Margaret Thatcher, I'm sorry, the Queen of England, uh, not Margaret Thatcher, by the way, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth, in the uh, late 90s, there's a picture of her shaking hands with the representative of uh, the political party, I believe it's uh, Sinn Féin, which got its beginnings as the IRA. So a guy that used to uh, be a big part of a terrorist group that actually attempted to kill her prime ministers, uh, attempted to kill other political party members of the UK, and uh, successfully killed a member of the royal family in a bombing, is shaking hands uh, with the Queen of England at a political summit. How the fuck do you get there? How the fuck does that happen? And the answer is growth. Taking the time to work out your shit and calm down. And I think that's kind of what I've been trying to get at here. Maybe not in the most accurate way, but... Learning how to be comfortable in your own skin and learning that you don't have to take every insult as life or death and that you will continue whether you're insulted or not and that the only opinion that matters isn't the people around you that hear the insult or the person insulting you it's your own opinion of yourself and what you know to be true not every insult has to be answered sometimes the only winning move is not to play and I think with that I'm going to leave you so I didn't do it at the beginning of the episode but I'm going to do it at the end. Um, please, if you have some spare dollars, support these charities. 
Mercy Ships, the Navy Marine Corps Relief Society. Please, if if you're going to support any, please support them. Um, I, I've seen it work with my own eyes. They, honest to God, help our uh, our service members. And uh, Sojourner Truth House. So if if you have some spare bucks, uh, please look them up and uh, donate what you can, even if it's like a dollar. Every little bit helps. All right. So, uh, yeah. I think that was a lot of shit that I uh, just unpacked. And uh, I feel a lot better for it. Not not saying that every episode is going to be like that, but um, I feel like this was kind of healthy. I'm not sure if I told a very uh, linear story, but fuck it. This is my podcast, not yours. I'm allowed to be messy if I want to be. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned, and I'll, uh, I'll see you guys in the next one. Take care of yourself, okay? Later.